Well, would you join with me in preparing our hearts now? Pastor John Marker is going to come and bring a word from God about following God in the wilderness. Good morning, family of God. It's a joy to be with you this morning. And today, I want to talk to you about the topic of God in the wilderness. For the last several weeks, I've been studying the theme of the wilderness in the Bible. And this is both a major biblical theme and a theme that just feels extremely relevant for what's happening in the world right now and in many of our lives. See, the wilderness in the Bible is a place of struggle. It's a place of pain. But it's also a place where there's an opportunity for tremendous growth, transformation, and grace. It's a place where uh, God reveals himself to people. Now, one of the things I've learned is that this word wilderness appears in over 250 verses of the Bible. So this is a big theme. And today we're going to spend most of our time focusing on a particular story of God revealing himself to the prophet Elijah in the wilderness. But before we look at that story, I want to talk to you about the theme of the wilderness in general, just to set the stage and hopefully help you see how relevant this is to what's happening right now in the world. Now, the wilderness is, first of all, a literal place. And second of all, it's a symbol in the Bible for a sort of spiritual state of being. Let me try and help you understand what I mean by that. First of all, the wilderness is a place. And when you hear wilderness, don't think about a a lush, green, beautiful forest. Think about a desert, a desolate place. I'm going to put a picture on the screen here for you to think about. This is the wilderness. It's a dry place. It's a place without adequate food and water. It's a place in which human beings struggle to survive. So... That's the literal place called the wilderness, a place of pain and struggle where God often reveals himself in the midst of pain. Now, I want you to think about what is some of the spiritual significance of this place, and uh, hopefully that will help you um, understand why I think this is such an important theme for right now. You see, in the Bible, the wilderness is a place of isolation and loneliness, It's a place where people get cut off from the comforts of human society. Already you can maybe start to see why I think this is relevant right now. During the coronavirus pandemic, uh, a lot of us feel quarantined in our own homes. We feel cut off from the support of friends and family. A lot of us are feeling isolated and, and lonely. Moreover, in the Bible... As we study all the times the wilderness pops up, it becomes clear that this is a place of weakness and vulnerability. In the wilderness, people learn that they are not as self-sufficient as they thought they were. In other words, we really need God. Along those lines, the wilderness is a place where people are confronted with God and with themselves in new ways. I encourage you during this season to pray and ask God, what do you want to teach me about yourself And God, what do you want to teach me about myself? Because those are two things that people often learn in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of spiritual struggle and temptation. And I'll just go ahead and say for, for many people, the wilderness is a place of failure, but it doesn't have to end there. Often people fail in the wilderness and in the midst of their failure, they experience God's mercy in wonderful ways. 
which leads to the next point. In the Bible, the wilderness is a place of grace, transformation, and renewal. So the Bible teaches us to look for the opportunity in the midst of the pain. God may want to give himself to us in new and special ways during this time. In fact, the wilderness is a place where God prepares people for a future that involves new levels of fruitfulness and creative service. As we reflect on this list of characteristics of the wilderness and the Bible, I think it becomes kind of clear that in one sense, the coronavirus pandemic has put the world in a situation in which we're kind of all in the wilderness right now. And I know that for many of us, um, that is very painful. It's a very painful experience. And God has so much compassion for you and mercy and grace for you in the midst of that pain. But what I also want you to hear today is that there's a real opportunity in the midst of the pain. I really think Jesus wants to show us his love in deeper ways, even in the midst of the pain of the wilderness. I think God wants to make this a time of growth and transformation for all of us. You see, some people in the Bible, when they get into the wilderness, they just fall apart. They harden their hearts. They rebel against God, and they miss out on the opportunity for growth. Other people, in the wilderness, it becomes a place of great blessing and growth. As we're going to see in today's story, in Elijah's life, the wilderness is first a place of failure where he falls apart, and then the grace of God comes and puts him back together, and it becomes a grace, a place of growth and transformation. So without further ado, let's give our attention to the story of Elijah. Now, I'm about to read to us from 1 Kings chapter 19, but let me set up the context. Elijah is a prophet of God, and he's carrying out his ministry during a real low point in the history of Israel. The king of Israel is a guy named Ahab. The queen is a woman named Jezebel, and they are both evil. They're tyrants. They're oppressive. They exploit the poor. They worship the false gods of the surrounding nations. They're really horrible leaders. And Elijah has been courageously challenging them. As a prophet, he's been speaking God's truth to the corrupt power of the world. He's been calling these leaders to repentance. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is experiencing an amazing moment of victory. He challenges the evil king. He has a sort of spiritual showdown with 400 false prophets of Baal. And I'm not going to tell you the story, but you could go read 1 Kings chapter 18 and see how God, through his prophet Elijah, wins this sort of showdown. The hearts of the people of Israel are beginning to turn back towards God. And then Elijah says a prayer and a drought that had afflicted the land for years ends and God sends rain on the land. So this is a, a moment of great victory, a high point in the prophetic ministry of Elijah. And then something interesting happens. Queen Jezebel hears about it all and she threatens Elijah. And she says, uh, this, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. You're a dead man. When Elijah hears that, the courageous prophet who had just um, stared down King Ahab, all of a sudden something within him snaps. It's like something breaks loose. His courage is gone. And all of a sudden he's overwhelmed with fear. Now you can read the story with me. I'm going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. This is right after Jezebel threatens Elijah. Verse 3 we read, Then he was afraid. Those four words are key in the story of Elijah. He's about to be overwhelmed with fear. And the verse continues, He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. 
but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now that's our key phrase. Elijah is now in the wilderness, the place of loneliness and isolation, the place of discouragement and struggle. And Elijah came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Elijah is here afflicted with three struggles. First of all, he's overwhelmed by fear. Second, he's discouraged and he's discouraged almost to the point of total despair. He's almost lost hope, which is why he says, God, just kill me. I just want to die. That's a pretty low moment. And some people watching this video have been there and understand. It seems to be that Elijah, in this moment of weakness and fear, is coming to terms with his own weakness, his own sinfulness. Instead of walking in faith, all of a sudden he walked in fear. And he says, I'm no better than my fathers. The sinful people that I've been trying to call to repentance, I'm just as bad as one of them. And he's also physically exhausted. He lay down and slept. So fear, discouragement, and physical exhaustion are what he's going through. And I suspect some people right now can relate to all three of those. But look what happens next. God comes to Elijah in grace. Continuing verse 5, we read, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So I love, I love those verses because here's, here's what's so wonderful about the mercy and compassion of God. Elijah is at this spiritual low point. He's discouraged. He's given into fear. He's almost completely lost hope. And God comes to him and God doesn't rebuke Elijah. He doesn't even start by speaking words of encouragement to Elijah. What God does is with total compassion for his weakness, he gives Elijah two snacks and two naps. Isn't that wonderful? God gives him good food to strengthen his body and God gives him physical rest. For some of you who are overwhelmed right now, I just want this to be an affirmation from God that self-care, physical care for your body, adequate rest um, and in enjoying good food and, and the good gifts that God gives you to strengthen and refresh you. That's not sinful. That's something good. God wants to take care of your body as well as your soul. But then after this physical refreshment, God now leads Elijah out to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, the same mountain in the wilderness where God appeared to Moses. And now God's going to appear to Elijah. Let's read what happens next. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want to pause and ask you to think about this. In the Bible, when God asks a person a question, God's not trying to gain new information. Okay, God already understands what Elijah is doing here. God understands Elijah's motivations. God is asking this question because Elijah doesn't yet understand Elijah's motivations. See, one of the gifts that God often gives to his people in the wilderness 
is deeper levels of self-knowledge. During times of struggle, times of pain, times of loneliness and isolation, often God wants to help us understand ourselves. And often it's, it's what we are going to see in this story, that he's helping us to understand both our weakness and our struggles, but also how much he loves us and what good purposes he has for us. Let's continue reading and you'll see that with me, I think. Verse 10, Elijah answers God, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I think Elijah's answer is interesting here, because this is the same guy who just a minute ago said, I'm a horrible sinner, I'm no better than my fathers, and now he's saying, I'm the only one who really loves you, God, there's no one else but me. And of course that's contradictory, But human beings are often contradictory, aren't we? On one hand, he thinks I'm worthless. On the other hand, he thinks I'm the only one who loves God. I'm the only one who cares. He's struggling in this kind of a way. Look at verse 11 now, how God responds. It says, And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So three different ways God shows Elijah his great power. He's the almighty God of transcendent power. But each time, with the wind, with the fire, with the earthquake... The text tells us that the Lord was not in the earthquake, which makes what comes next so beautiful. We read, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Here's what's beautiful. God sends a whirlwind. He sends an earthquake. He sends a fire to show Elijah his great power. And Elijah stands and he sees it all. But then God sends a gentle whisper. And that's when Elijah knows God is about to speak. See, God is a God of great power. But more than that, he's a God of compassion. He's a God of gentleness. He's a God of love who comes near to us. And one of the things we need to learn how to do in the wilderness is how do we quiet ourselves down to hear the whisper of God's voice? Some of us are just so busy that we need to learn how to find a little solitude Find a little quiet. Take away the distractions to hear the voice of God. Now let's listen to what God says. First, we read that God asks Elijah the same question again. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's really, or God is really pressing Elijah to to understand himself better. Verse 14, Elijah gives the same answer again. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah just can't get past this discouragement, feeling like he's the only one. Now, if we read 1 Kings chapter 18 carefully, we understand Elijah, at some level, already knows he's not the only one. Elijah just talked to Obadiah, who was a faithful servant of the Lord. And Obadiah told Elijah that Obadiah had been 
saving dozens of other prophets who are faithful to the Lord. And yet Elijah's sort of tuning all that out. All he can hear is the voices of discouragement. I'm the only one left, and actually I'm worthless. He's just overwhelmed with his discouragement. So now that Elijah has learned to see his own weakness, his own discouragement, listen how God speaks words of truth and grace to him. Verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, I want us to take a second to understand what's really happening here. God is speaking encouragement and life and purpose into Elijah. First of all, he tells Elijah, you're going to go anoint a new king over Syria, a new king over Israel, and a new prophet who's going to be who's going to take your place as prophet. And what Elijah is really hearing from the Lord here is, Elijah, you're discouraged because you feel like all your work is in vain. You feel like everything that you're doing has no effect. But my grace is bigger than you know. My redemptive purpose is bigger than you know. And as a matter of fact, I'm about to use you to put kings and prophets in place who are righteous and just. And they are going to be used by me to to make an end to the evil of People like Ahab and Jezebel, that evil is going to be defeated and there's going to be a better day coming. Not only that, God then says at at the end of this, there's 7,000 people that you don't know about, Elijah. You think you're the only one, but I've got 7,000 who are faithful to me, who love me. Once again, God's showing Elijah, I love you. I have good purposes for you. You're still a part of my plan, but you're just one part of my plan. I'm doing something much bigger than you know about. And this leads into what happens next. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but starting in verse 19, God tells Elijah to go uh, anoint Elisha, the prophet. And Elijah is about to move into a new level of creative service and fruitful service Um, in his ministry as he mentors Elisha, the prophet, who's going to be the key leader God's going to use in the next generation. Now, I want to finish our time together By reflecting on some important spiritual principles, I think we can learn from this story, Elijah. First thing to learn here is, in the wilderness, our own weaknesses get exposed. And if you feel like your weaknesses are getting exposed, I just want to say to you, you know what, that's normal. And what's great is that also in the wilderness, often what God wants to show us is that he loves us more than we knew. We may be more messed up than we thought, and yet God loves us more than we've dared to imagine. And again, if you want to understand the tremendous power and grace of God, we've got a fuller revelation of that even than what Elijah got. Elijah saw the whirlwind. Elijah heard the whisper voice. But we've seen Jesus Christ. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, we see this is how much God loves us. He was willing to give his very life. He was willing to suffer death 
to bear in himself our punishment, our guilt, our shame, so that we could be forgiven and brought into a new relationship with God. And if we want to see the power of God, we just look at the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. He died for our sins and rose again. And God says to us, if you trust in Jesus, I'll forgive you and cleanse you. So in the wilderness, as your weakness is exposed, God also wants to show you you're you're more messed up, you're weaker than you knew, but also I love you more than you knew. And my mercy is enough for you. And my purposes for you are greater than you knew. Your failure does not disqualify you from participating in my redemptive purpose in the world. I still want to use you in special ways, in new and creative ways. Now, this leads us to some practical considerations. You might be hearing this and thinking, that's wonderful. What can I do? What can I do? Well, the first really important thing I want to say is, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the place to start. Right now, just join Elijah by confessing your sin, but then say, Jesus, Son of God, forgive my sin. Come into my life and begin to change me. The second thing I want to say is, after you've put your faith in Jesus, that's the beginning of a new relationship with God. And then you need to begin to make space in your life for rest, for prayer, and for hearing the word of God, and for examining yourself during this season of time. So here's four things I'm going to encourage you to do this week. Make space in your schedule to rest. If you're like me, living in a household with children in the midst of this pandemic, it's not easy to find ways to rest. So you're going to need to lean on other people. If you're married, you can lean on your spouse. If not, I encourage you to lean on your friends or invite us from the church family to come help you and give you support because you need space to rest and be physically refreshed. But after you're physically refreshed, now I want to encourage you, take some time for self-examination. Let God ask you questions about your motivations and about what's going on in your heart. And then make sure you make some space for yourself to read God's word, to pray, to slow down, to make enough space to be quiet with God so that you can hear his voice. Because in this time, I believe for every one of us, he wants to teach us about his love. He wants to heal the wounds in our hearts. And he wants to show us himself in new and deeper ways that can prepare us for greater fruitfulness and greater creative service in the future. Let me say a prayer for you to finish our time together. Dear God, I thank you for being a God who loves us and who is with us even in the midst of painful times and even in the wilderness. I pray for myself and for everybody who watches this video that as we face frustration and and discouragement and loneliness and, and maybe even as we experience personal failure, that we wouldn't give in to despair, but that we would trust in Jesus. We would trust in your grace to forgive us, to strengthen us and to restore us. Second of all, I want to pray for all of us, Lord, that in this time you would you would help us to rest. You would help us to make time to examine ourselves, to hear from you, and that ultimately this would be a time of transformation and growth in which you're preparing us to be used by you in special ways to bring your redeeming love into the world. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.